Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And once again, welcome to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 145. It's been a busy week for me with some non-Back of the Range stuff to take care of. So I know that this episode is a little bit late this week. I'm sure you were wondering if there would be an episode this week, but come on. You know I always find a way to get you a new episode. Looks like we do have the Travelers Championship this weekend to look forward to, despite more positive COVID cases popping up. I've said many times before, I'll say it again, please stay safe, wash your hands, be smart and considerate of everyone around you, and stay healthy. Just a couple housekeeping items to get through, thanks to everyone that has already entered the FootJoy giveaway contest. As you may or may not know, FootJoy generously kicked in some kicks to give away this week, the new Pro SLs. That contest ended on June 26th at 5 p.m. Eastern. So you probably are too late to enter, but if not, get in there right away. Send me a DM on social media or send me an email, ben at thebackoftherange.com, and you will be entered in the chance to win a new pair of FootJoys. The announcement of the winner will be made on all of the social media platforms. You know that we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And as always, feedback is encouraged. Reviews in Apple Podcasts are encouraged. And if you need to get caught up on any of the previous episodes, go to the website, thebackoftherange.com. So this week really started off great. The mojo was once again real as it relates to success finding its way to guests of this podcast. I mean, we've been on kind of a heater lately. Alex Smalley, Monday qualified into the first Corn Ferry Tour event since the suspension. Chase Johnson, Monday into the St. Augustine Corn Ferry Tour event and made the cut. Davis Riley, Will Zalatoris, they're racking up top tens left and right. Brad Tilly made it to the semis of the Connecticut State Amateur. My guys, Sahith Agala and Peter Quest, they got into the Travelers and are making their PGA Tour professional debuts as we speak. And then Chase Kepka, he Mondayed into the Travelers to play alongside Brooks in a PGA Tour event, and I had the perfect guest for this week to tie it all together, and then this damn coronavirus just pissed in my pool of happiness. Thankfully, at the time I'm recording this intro, they are both healthy. They've withdrawn, obviously, from the Travelers Championship just to be safe and considerate of the field. So Brooks and Chase are dealing with a little bit of adversity right now. Nothing new for them, really. I mean, sure, Brooks has won four majors. He's a former number one player in the world. And while Chase isn't quite yet a full-time member of the PGA Tour, it looks like he is trending in the right direction. But like I said, it wasn't always like that. The Kepka boys grew up here in South Florida, just up the street from me. And if you think they spent all of their time around private coaching and glitzy country clubs, well, you would be wrong. In fact, Sherbrooke, the club where they played quite a bit of their golf, yeah, that that course closed down not long after the clubhouse um, burnt down. Well, they started with cut-down clubs with simple instructions just to hit the ball as hard as they could. They were eventually guided through junior golf programs through the Palm Beach County Golf Association and the Florida Junior Tour. And that eventually led them to FSU and USF, respectively. 
Along the way, they've met coaches, mentors, teammates, rivals, and even a couple legends like Bob Toski and Tony Jacklin to impart some words of wisdom. But the man that's been there for the entire journey, well, that's this week's guest. My guest on this week's episode of The Back of the Range is Bob Kepka, the father of Brooks and Chase. I know that I have been saying this quite often, but this episode is another instant classic. And I'll be the first person to admit that I was not driving the bus on this one. You'll notice that I am gladly getting the hell out of the way and letting Bob tell some fantastic stories about raising two young boys that had an interest in the game of golf. If you really pay attention, you'll see how random moments in the career of a junior golfer were addressed and identified immediately, and they ended up becoming life lessons that would be applied down the road by professional golfers. This episode has something for everyone. If you're a parent of a junior golfer, tons of great information. If you're wondering how Brooks and Chase ended up playing in Europe to start their professional career, yep, we address that as well. This episode is lengthy because, well, Bob likes to talk. No other way to say it. And I didn't feel like editing anything out. So let's get to it right away. Bob, I know you've been trying to do this for a long time. Thanks so much for joining me here at the back of the range. How are you? Doing good under these crazy times that we're in and uh, just happy to be back playing a little bit of golf again and, uh, you know, anxious to get everything back to normalcy. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you joining me. You know, it's uh, today's May fourth. I'm kind of letting letting listeners know when we record because things like uh, like like everyone knows change. Uh, they change very quickly and rapidly. You're the father of a 30 year old now. Uh, you know, Brooks just turned 30 a couple days ago. Now, obviously, odd circumstances with coronavirus. So I'm going to give you a pass here, but you know, maybe you didn't have the most memorable birthday celebration a couple days ago. But but can you think back before we get started with a lot of topics we're going to get to. Um, can you think back to maybe a memorable birthday celebration for that you had for with uh, with Brooks or Chase? Maybe a golf trip or a memorable match or something like that? Wow. Um, that's interesting. Um, birthday celebration. Yeah, you know, He was 30 yesterday on Sunday, so hopefully I'll get with him later this week and we'll celebrate. Um, you know, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Okay. Yeah, you know, we were probably <laughs> at a golf tournament somewhere. That's always seemed to be where we were, you know, on the road, at least always during the holidays. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, we'll we'll see if we can. If, we'll see if one jumps into your head between now and during the during the uh, span of our conversation. And and you know, naturally, most people would think that this episode is just going to veer towards your sons, Brooks and Chase. I know Chase was a recent guest here on the back of the range, and and uh, you know, you and I actually got a chance to play golf. I guess that was about a year ago, and we got. We got rained down, and I think I, I think I did tell Chase during the episode that we probably had as many beers after we played as the amount of holes we ended up playing before we got rained out. Um, before we talk about maybe the family history in golf, what's your history in golf? When did you get into the game? It was funny. My dad uh, really didn't play golf when I was younger. Um, he couldn't afford it, and uh, we found some of his clubs in the in the garage somewhere, uh, tucked away, and we had a little. We thought it was a all sports field out behind the house. Uh, we played football there when we were kids and put up a goalpost. And, you know, we played uh, baseball out there. And I can remember, um, you know, at the time we thought it was a full length field. I get back there now and it's about 25 yards long. <laughs> there you go. Uh, 
but I remember grabbing my dad's sandwich and I'm, I'm a natural lefty. I do everything left-handed and I can remember just putting the ball down and trying to hit it left-handed with a right-handed club. <clears throat> my dad said, you know, you need to go to the other side. And, um, so I just, you know, turned around, grabbed the club and started whacking it and it was fine. Uh, and then all of a sudden when I started hitting some houses, I wasn't allowed to do it anymore. And I kind of got my interest in golf because, uh, my uncle Dick Grote, who, uh, played, uh, major league baseball and actually in the NBA as well, opened up a golf course back in 1965. So we would go up there to see my uncle, um, and I always thought it was cool with the golf course. I just loved to drive the golf carts around when I was, you know, eight, nine, ten years old. So I would go up and visit. With, he had three daughters, and I would go up and uh, hang out with them because I didn't play football. Once baseball was over, I had a little bit of a break. My 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 brother was playing football, so I would go up and hang out there, and I, you know, I just take my dad's clubs up there and kind of got, you know, thought it was kind of fun and everything. And um, I did that probably for three or four summers where I'd get to play for maybe three weeks at a time. And then I kind of took it up, uh, when I was a senior in college, um, my uncle Dick would get us uh, as a graduation. Well, actually it was my aunt Elsie would get us a graduation present from college and she'd have Dick order, um, a set of, uh, golf clubs for all of us. And, uh, so he was with, uh, uh, Rawlings at the time. And so we got, I got some H&B power built irons. And for Simmons Woods, and just started playing a little bit, and then moved up to Pennsylvania, and uh, would drive over and help my uncle at the golf course, whether it was bartending in the evening or ranging in the morning or getting the golf carts ready. And so I kind of got hooked on golf. Um, didn't really know anyone when I moved up to Pennsylvania, so uh, I met some friends there at the golf course, and that kind of became my hobby. And um, I did that until I, I moved down here to Florida. And you were, you're a pitcher at West Virginia Wesleyan. And, you know, I guess, you know, like you said, you know, most, most people don't, I guess most kids didn't play a lot of golf in college. I mean, it's just like a hobby. Um, so it was hard for you to find games. I mean, just basically, you, I'm guessing you found a lot of games at, at Champion Lakes. That's the, that's the golfers resort in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, it was kind of funny because, you know, I always tell my kids when they were growing up, you know, we didn't look at golf as a sport when I grew up, I mean, when you went to high school sports banquet and, you know, there was a buddy or somebody you knew there, you know, cause he was on the men's golf team. You know, we used to laugh going, <laughs> why is he, why is he getting a letterman's jacket? You know, that's not even a sport. Um, and, uh, you know, now it's, it's, you know, my hobby and, and my passion and both my kids are, are playing, you know, professionally so uh, it's amazing how your perspective changes over time well that'll be the headline quote of, of this episode bob kepka golf is not a sport so we'll make sure we advertise it properly um <laughs> <laughs> so so you moved down to florida and obviously you know brooks and chase get into the game now you know a lot of, a lot of parents listen to the podcast and they're always thinking about or they're they're listening to it to maybe get some insight into how do i put my child in the best situation to play you know, junior golf to have them enjoy the game. If they end up getting, you know, an opportunity to play in college, that's great. They can get an education. You know, how did you introduce the game to, to the boys to where it was fun, but also maybe competitive as well? The key is getting involved in a lot of sports early. Um, I, I grew up in an athletic family. 
uh, both my mother and my dad's side and older brother that, you know, we were very competitive. And, um, so, you know, one of the first things I remember, you know, in Brooks's case, to give you an example, he didn't like toys. Um, we had a dog and dog had a racquetball and he had more fun picking up the ball. And I got him, I, he was, geez, not even two years old. And, uh, I got him a little plastic, um, golf set and the driver was, um, sloped on both sides. So you hit it from right or left and the iron was like a, you know, triangle, same way you could hit it right or left-handed Right. and had a putter and these three hard yellow balls. And he just, you know, would whack it around the yard and actually started whacking it in the house until it started, you know, going up, getting an airborne and going to break a window or something. I put him out in the backyard. We had a fenced in backyard and he would just hit it. And it was kind of like a, you know, like an ice skating rink from the standpoint, he would hit the wall and, you know, the fence and he'd just keep chasing around and whacking it. Right. Um, you know, that was kind of his first little introduction to it. And I don't know if you recall, but, um, Jack Nicholas built a, par three uh putting course up off north lake boulevard and you know you'd ask me about a, a birthday memory and i can remember taking brooks up there for his birthday and he was like gosh i want to say three years old and he had posters up on the wall of you know ian woosman uh, greg norman paul azinger and trying to figure out what do I do for his birthday? Well, he loved watching golf on TV. He would get the clicker and he, you know, he'd turn it right on to, you know, wherever there was golf and he would just sit there, um, you know, just glued watching the TV. And he picked up the names from, from the broadcaster. Cause when we went up to that putting course, we walk in and he's pointing to the, the poster on the wall and going shark, woozy, you know, zinger. And the guy's like, he actually knows these guys. And I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, and so we went out and, and I remember going around there and putting and everything and just enjoying it. And I think that was kind of his, you know, introductions to golf was I would take him down to the club and just let him hit a few on the range. I cut down some of my little, you know, my old clubs um, and had no intention of my you know kid going on to, to play at a higher level. It was just, he and I spending some quality time together. And as he got, you know, I'd say when he was, you know, six or seven, maybe even, you know, a little bit younger than that. Um, my wife, Sherry would bring him down to the golf course to watch me play and the match play championship or the club championship. And, you know, after we were done, we'd have lunch and then I'd take him out to the range and I'd tee up balls for him. Uh, it didn't matter whether he was hitting a driver or an iron, you know, an eight iron, I teed him up. And the idea was to, um, just to see him have fun out there. He want he, every kid wants to be like their dad, Yeah. whatever their dad does, they want to do. And my whole theory was I want him to enjoy the game. And I see so many people out there thinking, Oh, I'll just put the ball on the ground and my kid will go up and just whack it. Well, I played a lot of sports in my game. I've got some pretty good hand-eye coordination. I thought hitting a curveball was hard um, in baseball, but the little ball just sitting there on the ground, it'd be easy to hit it until you take up the game. And you don't want to see them get frustrated because if a young child gets frustrated, they're going to go do something else. Sure. 
because, you know, when they're little, they have an ego just like we do as adults. And I remember teeing it up and Brooks would whack it. You know, it'd go way off to the right or way off to the left. He didn't care what direction it went. You know, he's like, wow, do you see how far that went? There you go. And I did the same thing with Chase. Yeah. You know, and the idea was swing hard at it, hit it, you know, as hard as you can. And when they see it going a long ways, they're like, wow, let's keep doing this. So I would just sit there on the tee box and just keep teeing them up. And, you know, when they got enough hand-eye coordination, I'd keep start sneaking the tee down a little bit with the irons. And, you know, all of a sudden they wouldn't even know the tee wasn't there anymore and they were hitting it off the ground because they had developed enough hand-eye coordination to make solid contact. And that's kind of how I got them started. Interesting. How did you balance the let's keep it fun and then also incorporate, okay, we got to get a little bit of, you know, a little bit of fundamentals in here, you know, maybe, you know, tinker with a grip or, or how did you go from let's keep it fun to, all right, let's, let's get you the proper education on how to do this the, the correct way so you can keep enjoying the game as you get better. Well, you know, I, I taught myself how to play. I always said, I don't know if I did things the right way or not, but I just did it however I knew how to do it. And so I could help them with the basics somewhat and give them a, a decent grip and, you know, a decent alignment and everything, but it might not have been the ideal one. Um, so in the beginning, it was just about us just going out there. And sometimes it was just my wife and I and the kids going out and playing a scramble or, you know, just trying to have some fun. Um, but, you know, as they get older and as they get better, you know, their competitive juices kick in. And I think as a parent, you do what your parents did. And my parents never let my brother and I win at anything. We started playing cards when we were, you know, three years old, uh, a game called Building on the Sevens. And that's how we learned how to count and learned to identify suits. And they never let my brother and I win. <laughs> and, you know, of course, we'd run to our room crying and my dad would say, come on, get back out of here. You know, if you want to win, you better figure out a way. And so I did the same thing with my kids. And, you know, I used to have a lot of people say, oh, you know, you're tough on your kids or, you know, aren't you worried about, their feelings or, you know, they never let them win. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm trying to get them prepared for the real world and the real world's not going to let them win. You know, they have to figure out a way. And so that was the whole idea was, um, kids knew when we went out to play, I was going to beat them and I wasn't going to let up on them. And, uh, they wanted to beat me. They had to work hard at it. And you know, they both, you know, took that attitude of, I want to beat my dad. And, they went out and worked at it. And I think, you know, whether you're playing against your dad or you're playing against other kids, they had such a huge advantage because I never let them win that they were more mature at whatever sport they were playing than a lot of the other kids their age because those kids were always allowed to win and they were just expected to win. But, you know, the other kids weren't going to hand it to them. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about this, about hard work. Uh, you know, that's probably something that the average fan, you know, they, they don't necessarily see that. They see the, the golfers on TV. They see the, the trophies at the end and the, and the nice endorsement deals and all the fancy clubs and clothes and all that lifestyle. But they don't see all the work that goes into it. I, I'm wondering, when did you first start seeing 
how hard they actually worked at it. Not so much the talent level, but just like, oh, okay, they're getting beat. They are then going back and working at it even harder. Like this is going to be a thing with them. They are they are gonna they're gonna work at this. They're gonna make it. It happens typically when they're in their early teens. Um, okay. You know, when they were younger, um, they practiced for a little bit. Um, you know, I mean, like the first time they ever played Brooks ever played in a tournament, he was uh, seven seven years old. He got we heard about a little nine hole tournament up at Okahili Park. You know, put him in it. So I, I actually bought him a junior set where it had every other iron. And, um, you know, so he could play in those tournaments because he just had, you know, five or six clubs that were cut down for me. And um, so put him out there and, you know, he enjoyed it and um, was was competitive. I mean, I think he came in like third place in a nine-hole tournament. He's like, I'd like to do this again. And at the time he was playing baseball, which, you know, I, I'm in – encouraging people to play other sports because your kid will migrate to whatever sport it is that they like. Sure. Don't, don't force them into it. Cause if you as a parent force your kid to play a certain sport, cause you want them to play it and they don't, it won't be successful. Um, you know, it was a sport, you know, Brooks liked them all. He liked baseball, you know, and chase did before really golf. Golf was just kind of something that was, okay, let me do that because there's an event and I can go, you know, go play in it. Um, and, you know, it was just a situation where when they got out there, they, they had some, had some success. It was, it was just fun. And, and that's the way I wanted it to be. And it continued that way until Brooks was 12 and he decided he was going to give up baseball and he wanted to focus on golf. And at the time, you know, he might go over for a half hour, 45 minutes and hit balls, then want to go play. But when he became a teenager, all of a sudden he wanted to go to the course and he'd be at the range for three and four hours, you know, beating balls. And we had moved down to uh, the golf course so that they could just walk over the range whenever they wanted to. And I can remember Brooks, I think he was 13 or 14 and Chase was probably 10. And Brooks would come home after practice and all day, and he's like, you know, I don't, I don't think Chase is going to make it in golf, Dad. And I was like, why, why is that, Brooks? He said, because you know, he comes over and hits balls for forty-five minutes, then he wants to go over to his friend's house and and play video games. And he says, you know, he's not willing to put in all the work. And I said, Brooks, when you were ten, you did the same thing. Don't forget it. You know, I said. I guarantee you when he's your age, he'll probably be out here doing the same thing. And it was funny because as Brooks, you know, went off to college and everything, now Chase is in his early teens. And guess who was on the range all day? There you it go. Was Chase. Yeah. So it, in their teenage years is when they'll, they'll do that. Because at that time, they both thought golf's going to be my sport. And I never had to ask them to go practice. They always, you know, wanted to go. I mean, I can relate one, one story to you. Um, there was a girl that was kind of, you know, chasing after Brooks and gosh, he might've been 15 at the time. I think she was like 14 and she lived about an hour North. And, you know, so if he was going to go see her, I had to drive him an hour North, drop him off, drive an hour South, 
do, you know, whatever I was doing. Then later today, go pick them up. So I'm spending four hours on the road, which, you know, what, <laughs> what wasn't fun on my part. Yeah, that, yeah. And I, I, I can remember one Saturday I was in the office and uh, Brooke said to me, he said, Dad, I'm going to go over and, and practice a little bit. You want to come over and, and watch and then we'll play afterwards. And I said, well, look, I've got about an hour or two of work. And I said, uh, after that, I'll, you know, be happy to, you know, come over. And I hear his cell phone ring and his bedroom was right across from my office. And I can hear he's talking to this girl on the phone and she wanted him to come up and spend the day with her. And he was like, well, you know, I was planning on going over and hitting some balls. And she was trying to convince him to come up and, and everything. And I could hear, you know, some back and forth, didn't know what exactly was going on. And so he hangs up the phone and he comes walking into my office and says, dad, um, so-and-so wants me to, you know, come up and spend the day with her. And I said, okay. And he's like, you know, but I was thinking I really want to go over and practice. And he said, what do you think I should do? And my response, my response was a simple one. What do you want to do, son? And he says, well, I really want to go practice. And I said, well, there's your answer. And I heard him, I heard him go back into his room, gets on the phone and tells her, you know, uh, sorry, I can't come up. I'm going to go practice. And he hangs up the phone, walks into my office and says, dad, I'm going over to the range to practice. I said, okay, I'll see you in about an hour and a half. And <laughs> he didn't see the reaction, but I'm, you know, I think I'm fist pumping as he's going <laughs> down, down the hallway, <laughs> you know, to get his clubs. And, uh, <laughs> you know, because if I, I think if I had told him that he needed to go practice, he probably would have said, dad, will you drive me North? Right. You know, he goes here. Typical it, it had to be his decision, not mine. Right. And, um, you know, he, he was dedicated because, you know, he always said, you know, I've got a tournament coming up in two or three weeks. You know, I need to get better. And, uh, you know, the only way he was going to get better was, you know, to go and practice. You know, it's funny you're talking about these tournaments. Uh, that's a great story too. Um, yeah, I can just see you just in, the, in your office, just fist pumping like, yes, you know, he, he, he chose golf. Yes. He chose the right, right decisions. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about, you mentioned he's got these tournaments coming up and, yeah, I'm a I'm a little bit older. I I don't think I was playing Palm Beach County events when Chase was coming through, but you know, I I find this great picture uh online and you know, he uh, Brooks went to Cardinal Newman and I mean, there was just an absolute murderer's row of talent in that on that high school team. I mean, I you know, being in the area you know, Chapel Brown and Robbie White, they went to UF. They were killers. You know, Jude Estacchio, he won the state amateur in 2008. Eric Downs was in there. I think he went to Flagler. He was a great player. And and Brooks is in that mix, too. And I'm guessing, and I think Danny Evelyn was, uh, Danny and Matt Evelyn, they yep. were probably in there as well. I mean, all these young young kids that were just incredible players, and he's in that mix as well. I I'm guessing that had a huge in influence on his ability, knowing that every day he went out to play these tournaments, whether it's high school or, or state ams or county ams, there's just a lot of great players down here where he had to work at it to get better. Yeah. And, you know, um, I'm going to take you back a little bit further. Um, and then I'll, I'll trust that Cardinal Newman team. But I'll never forget when Brooks first started playing, I said his first tournament was like seven years old. And, you know, he never won. 
any of those things. And I remember he, they would always just play nine hole tournaments, just be a one day thing, you know, and of course, you know, every kid wants to win, but, um, he was in a position. There was a, there was a kid here. that was very advanced at young age named Ken, Kenny Leach. I remember Kenny and Leach. I remember. Yeah. I good remember player. He, he's a golf teacher now, um, you know, in Palm beach County and still a very good player. Um, but anyways, uh, one day, um, he said to me, he says, well, I just, you know, I got to beat Kenny Leach. And I said, no, you don't. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I just got to beat Kenny. And I said, Brooks, you're not playing against Kenny. He said, yeah, yeah, he's in the tournament. And I said, you're playing the golf course. If you beat the golf course, you'll beat Kenny. And, you know, lo and behold, Kenny wins. And there was another kid. He went to Auburn to play. His name is Jack Bindor from up in Beach, left-hander. Really good. Those two were winning every event at Brooks's age group. And we go up to Vero Beach for a two-day event. And I'll never forget, Brooks has got the lead after the first nine holes. And you got to remember, every tournament we did was nine holes. This one's going to be his first 18-hole tournament, nine each day. Right. So Saturday night, we walked down from the hotel we were staying at. There was an ice cream shop along the beach up at Vero. You know, we get down there and there's five or six of his buddies all went down to get an ice cream and they are just like, wow, Brooks, you know, he has the nine old lead. And so he's just grinning from ear to ear and just, you know, loving his time there at the ice cream shop with his buddies. And lo and behold, Sunday comes around and they go to play the next nine. And all you can do as a parent is just, you know, walk along and watch. You, know, you don't caddy for them. You don't give them any advice or anything. And you could just see it slipping away. Yeah. And he ends up in third place. And I'll never forget. He goes into the scores tent, signs a scorecard. I'm standing, you know, 50 feet away. And he comes flying out of that scores tent. And he's running right at me. So I kind of bend down and he jumps up and he wraps his legs and his arms around me and is squeezing so hard and his head's over my shoulder and I could just hear him bawling. Uh-huh. And, and I said to him, Brooks, what are you crying about? And he's, he's sniffling and he's, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I, I lost. And I, I know, I know. I said, it hurts, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 He's still crying and everything. And I said, well, let me just tell you something, son. You got to learn to lose before you can learn to win. And the whole idea was, is, hey, you still got some work to do. And he thought he had it after nine holes. Yeah. And and guess what? You know, those guys were coming after him. But no one was going to let him win. And I think you, I think as, a, as an athlete, you have to learn to lose first. You have to learn what it feels like. And I said, this doesn't feel good, does it? He's like, no. And I said, well, remember this feeling and do whatever you can to make sure that you don't get, have the same feeling again. And, you know, he continued to work hard. Now getting back to your, your conversation about Cardinal Newman, mm-hmm. his freshman year, he goes there and they have eight kids on the team that can break par. Now, you want to talk about a hard job as a high school golf coach. <laughs> um, and uh, Greg Sherman was the coach. And how do you determine who's going to play? You had you had Jude Estacchio. You had Chapel Brown. 
Robbie White. You had Danny McClellan, Danny Evelyn. Um, gosh, Brett, uh, I can't think of Brett's name. Eric Downs and Brooks, you know, and Brooks would come home from practice. I'm like, how'd you do? And he says, hey, I played pretty good. You know, I shot 36. Like, that's great. He's like, well, yeah, normally it would be, but it wasn't today. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, there was a 33 and two 34s, two 35s. Yeah. And I was like, you're kidding me. You know, and this wasn't, they were going to play Bear Lakes, not like it was an easy yeah. golf course. So when they started doing qualifying, you know, for their nine home matches, you know, the top five are going to qualify. And they went out, and I mean to tell you, if you didn't shoot under par, you weren't playing in the match. And they had so much talent. Most of those kids went on to play uh, college golf. Yeah. You know, Jude, Jude originally went to Florida, ended up going to Florida Southern. Right. Dan Elon went to Florida Southern. Um, Brett went to Penn. Um, uh, Robbie and, and Chapel went to Florida. You know, Brooks goes to Florida State. I mean, that might be one of the most talented high school teams, you know, that anybody can recall. I, I can tell you it was most talented in this area. There's never been one, you know, close to it. And, you know, these kids went out every day and, you know, they felt like if they shot 35, that, you know, that probably was going to get them in the next match. So, that, you know, they, they really pushed each other. And, you know, as, as they went through their high school and college careers, you know, the top amateur golfers around here, you know, all got a taste of it in the county amateurs and, and all the various county tournaments that Tommy Beelan ran for the Palm Beach County Golf Association. Yeah, I, I remember seeing it all the time. I'd go play in the, the you know, county events, and, and I, you know, I think I was probably, oh, gosh. So I'm, I'm, I'm about 12, thir- 12, 13 years older than Brooks. So, so yeah, I, I mean, I would, I would go into these tournaments, and, you know, I'm just a mid-am, just kind of scraping something around. Maybe I'd shoot a couple of good scores, but I would just see these young kids just walk in there, just not a care in the world and just kick the shit out of all of us. And I just was like, okay, must be nice. Um, and it, it's just crazy. Cause I mean, yeah, like, like I think you've, you've, uh, intimated like, Hey, you, you know, he's not, you know, he was just part of a group of really good junior golfers, but he was not this, um, this incredible standout. I, I know there's, there's, there's a great story. If you can share it about when, when Bob Toski, took a look at, at Brooks and I'm guessing you took a look at Chase as well at some point. Um, what, when did the relationship with Toski start? Bob was always over at Sherbrooke pretty much every day. He would come over around lunchtime, have a bite to eat. And then he would go to the back of the range and, uh, he worked with one of the, one of the families there would always have him over. And, um, and he would just, you know, put on a clinic some days and you'd have 15 people standing around or he might just be working with one or two of the people back there. And uh, over the years, I got to, to know Bob quite well and sat, had many a good conversations with him. And Brooks was a um, uh, junior in college and they had an assistant coach come in there over the summer because um, the previous coach was Chris Malloy who recruited Brooks to Florida State as the assistant, uh, uh, Chris and Trey Jones. And Chris took the job at USF, and he was instrumental in, in getting Chase to go to USF and, you know, to build a program there. And um, this this coach had read books about how Ben Hope 
Hogan hit a cut shot. He had these guys on in the fall. I didn't get to go to any of the fall tournaments. Putting a move on that he thought the way Ben Hogan hit a cut shot, uh, it was not uh, not good at all. Um, and uh, so Brooks had come home at Christmas break, and he was really not having fun playing golf. For the only time I can ever recall in his years of playing golf that he wasn't enjoying it. And I was mowing the yard uh, in the John Deere tractor. We we had an acre right off the 15 box and all of a sudden I see him waving at me. And so I turn, turn the mower off and I drive it up to the back tee box. And at Sherbrooke, the fifth hole was about a 210 to 215 yard par three. And Brooks says, I want to show you this cut shot. So I'm, you know, I'm like, sure, no problem. And um, I see him take this swing. And the left elbow, chicken wings out. And and the hands come up barely over the top of his, you know, uh, his shoulder. Right. And I'm like, what is that? And he says, this is that cut shot that he wants us to hit. And I was like, Brooks? That is the most unathletic move I have ever seen from you in my whole life. And he said, that is ridiculous. And he said, well, that's what he's having us all do. And he said, not, I'm just not you know, happy with this. And I said, hold on. I, I started the mower up. I drove over to the garage and I grabbed a, do- grabbed a dozen golf balls. And I said to him, I'm going to bet you right now, you can't get one ball to the green with that swing. And at the time, he was probably hitting a, I'd say a four or five iron from that yardage. And I, he's like, well, what happens if I don't? And I said, well, you know, you're going to have to do, you know, dishes and, you know, whatever back at the house. And uh, so he cannot get any one of them to the green. I mean, he's coming up 20 yards short, 20 yards short. And I said, all right, here's the deal, son. You're never going to do that again. I said, I can just go back to when I was a kid growing up. And I said, and I could tell the difference between athletic move and not. And I said, if we were doing a pickup basketball game, you'd be the last kid picked. That's how unathletic that move was. Wow. It shows me you have no talent. I said, tomorrow, I said, when you come over to practice, I'm going to, I want Bob Toski to see this because Bob played with Ben Hogan practice with Ben Hogan and everything. And I says, we're going to put an end to this, whatever this thing is. Cause <laughs> I can tell you right. I can tell you right now, Ben Hogan did hit it that way. I, I just, so, I wish I was there because just knowing just for the limited time that I've spent with Bob Toski for, Oh, he must've been, uh, go ahead. I, I just know where the story's going, but go ahead. This is great. Yeah. So we get over there and Brooks goes to the range and he's hitting balls I go into the grill room and I see Bob sitting there. And so I go over to Mr. Toski and say, Hey, do you have, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes? I need you to take a look at this. I think cause this coach is telling Brooks how Ben Hogan hit a cut shot. And, everything. and of course, you know, Toski starts right away going, well, I know how Ben hit it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I listen to that and everything. I was like, great. I said, come on, let's go. So I go get Brooks. I said, come on, hop in the cart. We're going to the back of the range. So Toski says, so your dad tells me you're a pretty good player. And he said, uh, you, you've learned to hit a cut shot like, you know, like Ben Hogan. 
He said, do me a favor. I want to see this, this swing. So, you know, Brooks puts a ball down and he performs this swing. <laughs> and Toski, um, he dropped some words that you can't mention right now. Okay. Uh, There's a lot of four, a lot of four letter words that were flying out. <laughs> and he basically said to him, kid, don't ever swing like that ever again. He said, I'm going to tell you right here and now, Hogan never swung like that. He could never hit a golf ball like that. Show me how you hit a cut shot. And Brooks was always a guy that liked to hit a cut shot. So he puts another ball down and says, show me a high cut shot. So Brooks hits a high cut shot. He says, no, show me a medium trajectory cut shot. So Brooks hits another one. He says, show me a low trajectory cut shot. Brooks hits a nice cut shot in there. And, you know, he says, so tell me, how do you hit a cut shot? And Brooks says, you know, I, I set the club face down um, in the direction, you know, I want the ball to go. And he says, I open my stance. And he says, and I swing down my stance line and I let it go. And then I let it just, you know, drop over to the target. And he says, that's exactly the way Hogan did it. And he made Brooks do that. He probably called 10 shots, you know, high cut, low one. And then he, he, he took the, um, uh, the alignment stick yep. and he put it in the ground and he had it coming out like a stinger. And he's like, I want to see a, one on that trajectory with a cut. And Brooks did everything that Toski asked him to do. He probably only hit 15 shots. And, and Toski said, you've got it. Don't ever hit a cut shot, anything different than this. And he said, you'll go places. And Brooks was like, you know, he didn't really want to get, you know, get a lesson on it, but you know, I, I knew he needed it because I knew he needed to get rid of that um, swing. And um, he said, am I done now? And I said, yeah. So he went back to the front of the range and, and Mr. Tonsky looked at me and said, your kid is going to win majors. And I said, you just put an S on the end of that. And he said, yes. He said, the way he hits a golf ball, the way he strikes it, he's going to win majors. And I said, you know what? I had one other friend, Doug Ferrari, that had mentioned that. Um, he was Brooks's middle school coach. Because Brooks had the opportunity to play um, high school golf as a sixth grader. Uh, he and Chase both. And, uh, and Doug always said, your kid, he's you know, followed Brooks all the way through high school and into college. And Doug said, I'm telling you what, Bob, he's going to win a major. And he said, he's got it. And he's got the mindset and everything. And so when Toski said that, I was like, you're serious. Cause at the time I'm thinking Brooks is not happy playing golf yeah. and he's got, he's got to get back to, you know, the right mindset. And, you know, at the time he'd never won a college tournament. You know, he grew up through the Florida Junior Tour, never won a Florida Junior Tour event. And I'm sitting there thinking, you're telling me this kid's going to win majors? He can't even win a college event. Right. Can't win at this level, but yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he goes on to win three times a senior year. You know, he just kept getting better. And, you know, here we are now, what, you know, nine years later, he's got four major championships. The uh, you mentioned college, so so Brooks goes to FSU, graduates degree in social science. Chase goes to USF, graduates degree degree in marketing. Was there a plan B for them? A lot of I guess you can think about you know if you have a plan B, that means that you are allowing yourself 
a reason to fail or, or you're allowing yourself to fail your, on your plan A. But I'm just curious, did how how was education and you know obviously completing college was was very important. Um, what was your kind of mindset on that, or what was their mindset? Did did they have a plan B, or was it just I'm turning pro? <laughs> um, well, <laughs> we got to go back to the sixth grade at Wellington Christian. Okay. You know, Brooks, Brooks makes the high school team as a sixth grader, and the qualification that Doug put out was you got to break 45 in order to make the team. So the first day of qualifying, Brooks shoots like 41, makes the team. So he's just, you know, tickled to death with himself. And, and uh, you know, the first nine-hole match they play, I think Brooks shoots 39. And so he's, you know, he's thinking he's, you know, this hotshot golfer. And, you know, this is a small little school, Wellington Christian. Um <laughs> if there were six kids that knew how to play golf in the school, you know, they were lucky. So, um, he, um, he was pretty full of himself. And I, I'd say it was about the third or fourth match. Um, we're, we're riding home. Uh, you know, Chase is in the second grade and, uh, Brooks, you know, says something from the back seat says, you know, I'm, I'm thinking maybe in about four years, I'll just drop out of school and I'll turn pro. <laughs> and my wife said, if you could have seen the look on your face, I literally, I pulled the car immediately off the road and was probably in somebody's yard. And I put it in park and I turned around and I said, you think you're going to drop out of school and turn pro in the 10th grade? I said, you got another thing coming, buddy. I said, you're not that good. I said, you are going to finish high school. You're going to go to college. And if after four years you're good enough, then maybe you can turn pro. And I'll fast forward, say, three or four years later. And Brooks is in the ninth or tenth grade. Brooks was not the academic one. He, he, he competes in the athletic level, but he didn't compete in the classroom where Chase was the total opposite he competed in both he wanted to you know uh, do well in both and and brooks we were trying to get him a tutor and stuff because i'm like look if you want to go play college golf you gotta have good grades yeah you know if if there's two kids they're looking at you're one of them and the other kid's got a three five and you've got a two five you're not going there because he's worried about you staying eligible and so i was like we gotta get him a tutor and, and work with him and everything and um you know, I, I sat down with him one day and just said, you know, Brooks, you've got to, you've got to have a backup plan. And and he's like, what do you mean? I said, well, you got to have a plan B because if golf doesn't work out, you know, you've got to have an education to fall back on, you know, so you can go out and get a job or something. And and he looked at me just Confused. so serious. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, so serious. And says, dad. There is no plan B. And I said, son, what if plan A doesn't work? He said, if I have a plan B, plan A will never come into play. And I thought, you know what? That's smart. But I couldn't let him know that that I agreed with him. Right, of course not. Because then he, you know, he'd forget about classroom altogether and everything. But I mean, I, I understand where he was coming from is, 
you know, if, if, if he's got an out or, you know, to be able to say, well, if it doesn't work out, I'll go do this. Um, that's all he ever wanted to do. And, you know, that was his mindset. And so he worked at that as soon as, you know, school was over, he was making a beeline right to the range at Sherbrooke to practice, you know, or, or going over to Bear Lakes when it was during the high school season. And when he wasn't doing that, he was going to the gym. I got him a membership at LA Fitness. And, you know, um, he loved that. He would go in there and he'd find some gym rat that, you know, was a muscle head that was in there doing all kinds of lifts and stuff. And Brooks would walk over and, you know, start asking him what to do. And the guy's like, you know, do this, do that. You know, get some protein shakes to help, you know, you got to make sure you, you know, do this if you want to, you know, get some muscle and everything. And, um, you know, he, he still does the same things to this day. Yeah. When he practices, he practices hard. And when he goes to the gym, he works hard. And, and Chase is the same way, just at a different level. Um, he doesn't have the body type that Brooks has. And so when he goes to the gym, he can't lift the heavier weights like Brooks. And Brooks always challenged himself. You know, he would, if you lifted, you know, 200 pounds, he had to lift 210. And, um, you know, so he was competing in the gym and I think that's what helped him really get, get where he's at now is, you know, he, he looked at, he looked up to DJ and DJ was his, you know, uh, his workout buddy. And he saw how hard DJ worked and, you know, that pushed Brooks to, to work even harder. How did, um, how did the European challenge tour, um, come to be i mean i know after talking to chase uh you know a couple episodes previously you know he, he kind of you know had an opportunity to get some some starts through uh you know sponsors exemptions and through some different opportunities and the timing was good so that's why he went over to do the challenge tour then eventually played the european tour but what started uh, that process of brooks trying to do that and and were you involved so to speak on the on, on the early decision-making process of helping him and, and obviously helping chase with their careers. Like, how do you, how do you be the parent, but then also help out or do you need to keep your distance? Like, how is that, how's that been as a, as a parent? I think, you know, uh, at, at that stage, um, Brooks is a senior in college and he had agents coming out following him his spring, uh, season. Um, and you know, that was when I kind of started thinking, you know, he, he can make this, you know, he, he can do this for a living. Cause I always thought if he could just, you know, somehow get out on the PGA tour and finish 125 on the money list to keep his card the next year, it'd make me the happiest dad. Um, but in his case, um, we had five agents come in, uh, to Florida state up in Tallahassee and, and he interviewed five of them along with his, um, uh, head coach uh, Trey Jones and Robert Duck, the assistant, and his mom and his you know stepmom and I uh, were there, and you know we we were just we were more the bystanders as as parents just to listen to what you know these agents had to say because you know the whole spring they were you know they were coming up to me talking to me all the time. I'm, you know, and trying to, you know, woo me, thinking if I can win over dad, I got a shot at, at, at you know, at, at the son. And, um, you know, we felt like, um, you know, the coaches knew more about this than, than we as parents did. So they rely more on, 
on the direction with, with Robert Duck and Robert's background was he was working as a as a sports agent in the golf business prior to you know becoming a, uh, a college golf coach and then and Trey had had other people come through there like Jonas Blixt and um, you know guys like that so they knew they they had been down this road where we had so we just sat back and um, Brooks ended up. Uh, deciding to go with Hamburg Sports and, and Blake Smith. And it was interesting because Brooks had qualified for the U.S. Open at the Olympic Club uh, in May of his senior year. And so they still had nationals and everything. So once college golf was over, he was going to you know, start his pro career. But he had qualified for that U.S. Open as an amateur because he, he forgave or he, he was ranked top 50, I think in amateur golf. So that got him in the second stage, he got exempt from, um, from local, local sectional, Yeah. So if he got through with sectionals, then he had to play the tournament as an amateur. So, um, right after that, um, Brooks was going to prepare for the U S open. And then he thought, you know what, I'm going to take like a week and he's going to go to Europe um, his girlfriend at the time was playing professional soccer in Sweden and he hadn't seen her for probably, I don't know, maybe nine months or something like that. So he thought, I'll go over there and watch her play some soccer and kind of take a week to myself, 10 days to myself before I start my grind at professional golf. And, and Blake said to him, I can get you some starts. If you're going over to Europe, I can get you some starts over there on the challenge store. So, Brooks said, sure, you know, all he wants is an opportunity. And it just kind of turned from there. And he got him, you know, a handful of starts. And, you know, next thing you know, Brooks wins one of them and earns status uh, for the next year on the challenge door. And that fall, um, Q School was going on. And that was the last year you could go straight from Q School to the PGA Tour. So Brooks um, gave that a run. I caddied for him up in uh, Lakeland at first stage and he I think came in third there shot like 18 or 19 under and he decided to go out to McKinney uh, Ranch out in Dallas Texas for second stage and he missed by two shots and there's another famous name Jordan Speed that missed by two shots but Jordan had you know such a distinguished amateur career and everything he was able to get starts on the PGA Tour and you know Brooks really didn't have that. So he went back over to Europe and, you know, decided to, you know, spend a year there on the challenge tour. And, um, he and Peter Yearline were pretty much the only American players over there. And yeah. so he and Pete, you know, kind of roomed together on the road, you know, became very good friends. And, you know, lo and behold, uh, I think Brooks was home during March and first part of April and, he had said that Pete had recommended to him, you know, it'd probably be worth getting a caddy. And, you know, in the challenge store back then, you didn't, still don't make a lot of money when you win. Um, so you know, to have a caddy, um, you know, can put you in a financial hole pretty quick. And I remember Brooks was worried about that. His, he came over to the house and uh, my wife and I were talking with him. And, you know, he, he thought it could help him a little bit. So we said, look, we believe in you why don't you not worry about the financial part of it and just focus on golf. And if, if it can help you one shot around, like Pete says, that's four shots over four rounds is a lot. 
that's a difference between coming in maybe 10th and winning. So, um, give it a go. We'll, you know, we'll pay for the caddy. You just focus on golf. And, you know, he went out at April and May and won three times in like seven events and, uh, got his promotion to the European tour, uh, with his third win up in Northern Scotland and some awful golf conditions and, and, you know, kudos to the, the organizers of the tournament because they were going to shorten it to a, uh, by one round because the weather was so bad on, on Sunday. And the guy that was, I guess the organizer said, look, this kid's got a chance to win a third time. He's only two or three shots back, you know, and we can't deny him that opportunity because I think we get 18 in, it may not be good weather. And he went out there in some of the most God awful golf conditions and persevered through that and ended up winning by like three. Wow. And <laughs> he's doing these interviews afterwards and, uh, he sees a plane take off and he's thinking to himself, that's my plane. <laughs> and he, he, he had to get down to England for the Monday, uh, qualifier for the British open the very next morning. And, um, you know, lo and behold, he's got to take a car and drive down to Edinburgh, Scotland and catch like a 5.30 flight out and get into Heathrow in London and then catch a ride over to the golf course for like a, say, a, you know, an early tea time for the 36-hole qualifier for the British Open. And by the time he got to the airport, it was, you know, wee hours in the morning and he basically slept in the gate for about two hours, hopped on the plane. His agent had a car waiting for him, picked him up, drove him to Sunnyvale, got there like 15 minutes for his tea time, hit like three balls on the range, went out and won the 36-hole qualifier to get his first British Open. Crazy. They kept the kids doing the same stuff. I mean, I think Chase told just a, I mean, Chase told a very similar story about just basically, you know, you know, red eyes and, and all this the crazy travel, that challenge tour and just over there, just, it's insane. Just all the connections and, and all the different countries and currencies. And just, it's, it's incredible. We got into it a lot. It was fascinating to hear him, hear, hear Chase talk about just the, the, the grind of it all. Yeah. And it, you know what, it, <laughs> I didn't realize how difficult it was. I mean, I can remember sometimes and both of them did this, you know, they, they'd call me up and, you know, there's a five hour time difference. So, you know, it's, it's hard to catch them because one, you don't know when they're, you know, if they're still at the golf course practicing, you know, or if they're going to sleep in a little bit cause they got a later tea time and, you know, um, you know, I'd be up half, I, I never slept because I'd be up at two o'clock in the morning watching my phone to see the scores updated every three holes or whatever it was, you know, and then I'd just lay in bed waiting for the next update three <laughs> holes later because, you know, as a parent, you, know, you only want the best for your kid. And, you know, all you can do is just, you know, watch and wait for the updates. But, uh, you know, to hear some of the stories um, from both Brooks and Chase and some of the challenges they went through. And, um, you know, it's pretty scary for, you know, kid 20, 21, 22 years old traveling in strange countries. And, you know, people are trying to take advantage of them, you know, whether it's, you know, steal their, their you know, their money or, you know, who knows yeah. what, uh, it, um, you know, they both have told me stories about, you know, someone taking them on a ride and they're like, I don't think this is where we're supposed to be going. And Brooks said he was one time with a guy and I think it was, uh, uh, India 
and another uh, player from Europe. They both missed a, the shuttle because their their plane came in came in late or something. And so this guy pulled off the side of the road, and there was three or four guys standing outside like a gas station, and it pitch dark. And he said they they basically Brooks put his arm around the guy and was choking him and said, "If you don't pull out," he said. You know, we're going to kick the shit out of him and, and, you know, throw him out of the car and steal our car. And he said, I was worried for my life. Right. Chase told me some of the same things. And, you know, I, as a parent, you're going, well, I'm glad I didn't know about these things. Right. Uh, you know, uh, uh, it, it, it's fun to laugh about them now, but I'm sure at the time, it, you know, it wasn't funny for them. And, and uh, like you said, I'm better off not knowing those things. But it toughened them up. You know, over there, they don't get to play courses in the same condition as what we do over here and the courses over there some of them are, are manicured real well some aren't you know some are link style versus you know uh, traditional style so um they've got to learn to adapt to things not only on the golf course but in the same situations off the golf course whether it's you know ordering food or how to try and check into a you know a bed and breakfast uh, when no one speaks the same language um, I think it toughened both of them up and made them grow up, you know, pretty quick and, uh, hopefully benefits both of them, you know, throughout their careers, you know, cause over here, the guys just, uh, have it much easier. You know, they just come in and registration or they fly in and there's a, there's a rent a car and, you know, everything's just all taken care of and yeah. meals and everything. So, um, definitely much easier to travel over here and than it is going from country to country and, you know, being questioned and whether whether or not you should be allowed into the country. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, like how do you, um, like, how do you balance the emotion of? I think you just kind of alluded to it that you just you would get the text updates when you know they're over there in Europe. But how do you balance the emotions of, you know, you have two kids that are playing professional golf, and they're both currently right now not on the exact same. I haven't progressed the exact same um, way on the journey. You know, Brooks is is one majors. Uh, he's older than Chase. Chase is still working his way through the the European tour, the the Corn Ferry tour. So, how does that work for you as a parent? Trying to, you got to be supportive. You got to. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what that's like because it's not just one result that you're following. You're following two results that are kind of in two different uh, ends of the spectrum right now. Yeah, you know, um, you know, you're happy for one the, the success he's had. The other one, you're you're grinding it out as a parent. I, you know, I, I got the opportunity a number of years ago to meet Tony Finau's dad, and Tony has a uh, a brother, Gipper. Yeah, very very talented player, and and I saw a lot of parallels. And at the time, Chase was just coming up, turning pro, and and Tony was hitting his stride. I think we were, I don't know if we were in New Orleans or um, at a a tournament or or somewhere else, but the dad and I sat down to have lunch one day and I said, look, I I need to pick your brain a little bit because I said, um, you and I are in in similar situations. I said, you know, Tony's progressed through the Corn Ferry Tour and had success and gotten out in the PGA Tour and done done quite well like Brooks. Um, And yet you've got another son, Gipper, who's, you know, was probably just maybe just as talented, but hasn't had that same success. And I said, I'm going to, 
you know, be going through this with Chase turning pro and everything. And I, you know, kind of want to know how you handled this and, and everything. And he said, yeah, it is difficult, you know, because, um, you know, it happens, I don't want to say easy for one, but, you know, he has immediate success and is able to make that progression, you know, up from challenge tour, European tour to the PGA tour. How, how do you deal with this? How do you keep Kipper focused? How do you keep him mentally um, feeling, you know, good about himself and his game? That he'll have that same opportunity if he just catches a break at the right time or plays well at the right time. And yeah. we, we, you know, weeks when we got together, we'd always seem to sit at the table and talk. And so, you know, it was interesting to share ideas and, and uh, things like that because, you know, as a parent, there isn't, you just don't find a book and you look it up and say, how do you make your kid a professional golfer? You know, um, all you can do as a parent, I think is just, uh, one, be honest with your kids and two, be consistent and, and be supportive. And, and that's, that's kind of what I've tried to do. Um, you know, I was honest with them. If I thought they had an area that was weakness in their game, I wasn't afraid to, you know, point it out to them and say, look, if, you know, you want to, you want to win it, whether it's a junior tournament or high school or college or whatever, you got to get a little sharper here. You know, you, you, you've been lacking at it. Um, you know, and, you know, you got another tournament coming up, you know, two weeks or whatever you know, put some time in on it. So I, I think as long as you're honest with them and consistent and show them that you're there for them, you got to separate being a parent and, and, and being their coach. Right. You know, they have coaches and yes, I know the game well enough to be able to help to some degree, but um, I can maybe help mentally more so than I can, you know, with technique and things like that. Um, so I, and I think that's where you have to identify that they're going to make mistakes and the best thing they can do is sometimes you just say, Hey, look, you know, now you know what it's like, or, you know, don't make that same mistake again. You know, I, I'll never forget when they were young, I'd say Brooks is probably 10 and Chase was six. They played in this little event up at Palm Beach gardens and the speaker was Tony Jacklin. Yeah. And, you know, the kids are sitting there, and they don't know who that Tony Jacklin is. You know, they probably may may have recognized Jack Nicholas, but not, not Tony Jacklin. And he was a great player in his own right. So he got done, and he was standing around. And so I grabbed the two boys, and I remember walking them up. And I said, Mr. Jacklin, I said, um, you know, my name is Bob Kepka. These are my sons, Brooks and Chase. And I said, you know, they both look off. And I said, you know, who knows, someday maybe they'd love to be able to play at, at a level like you did. And I said, is there one piece of advice that you could give these two young men to help them, you know, be successful at golf? And he said, yeah, it's real simple. He said, get the ball rolling as quickly as possible around the greens. <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, I understand that a little bit. And, you know, he, he sat with each one of them for a few minutes and just said, look, don't just pull out that, you know, that sand wedge or, you know, I don't even know if they had lob wedges at that time, right, right. <laughs> you know, and, and, and just throw it up in the air, you know, cause you don't know if it's going to land on a, on a wet green, it's going to hit and land soft or, you know, it's going to check or release. And he said, you know, get that ball, do a bump and run, get it, get it on the ground as quick as possible. And cause he said, you know what, you don't see many balls flying the hole, but you see a lot of putts rolling. He said, get that ball rolling like a putt, you know, you'll see some success. And, 
So it's just little things like that. As a parent, I could try and put them into people because every parent thinks that their kid's a problem child because he doesn't listen to them. You're not alone. <laughs> My kids didn't listen to me either. So you've got to get them around other people that, you know, understand the game and you just reinforce those things and remind them what this person or you know, that person said. Cause you know, I would get frustrated, you know, my kids would, I go up to the range and they're going, Oh yeah, this guy told me get the ball rolling as quick as possible. Or this guy told me this, or this guy told me that. I'm like, well, who's told you that? And I look over and it's a guy who's a 20 handicap. And I'm sitting thinking, are you kidding me? You'll listen to a guy that's a 20 handicap. And you know, I'm scratch and you won't even listen to what I have to say. And, and I finally said to the kids one time, I said, you know, just remember one thing. There's very few people that have a vested interest in seeing you do well. And don't forget, I'm the main one here. Yeah. Okay. As your father, why would I give you bad advice? I'm going to give you the best advice I could give you. May not always be, you know, the proper way or maybe even the proper way to put it. But I'm going to be very direct and tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. This is what I think. And, you know, let it go from there. And it's interesting. They remember what you say. They just won't always give you credit for it. <laughs> but you'll hear you'll hear them tell somebody else the exact same thing, and you're going, uh, you know, sounds, they did get it. Yeah, they did get it. That sounds vaguely familiar. Um, that's funny. What um, what uh, I want to ask, so you, you have been able to – find yourself in some incredible um incredible spots whether it's being in the room while the u.s open trophy is being engraved with with brooks's name on it or you know being at college tournaments or following um I, i'm guessing you were there when brooks and chase played the zurich together um so you, you've, you've been in these different situations and where you know you're you're able to to attend these things and what what stands out i mean i know it's going to be hard to pick just one but can you maybe share a story of whether you being at a Ryder cup or you being at a at a us open or a pga where you're in you're surrounded by some people or you're just in this moment that you're just thinking wow how did not only how did they get here but how did i get here just like this is incredible yeah, you know, I've had a lot of those moments. Uh, sometimes I, I think to myself, you know, I need to pinch myself because this is a dream yep. and it's not really happening. But I'd say probably the proudest moment was that, that first uh, Zurich Classic in New Orleans where Brooks and Chase got to play together and um, didn't know what kind of expectations and, um, you know, that they were going to be able to, how they were going to perform out there. Brooks was a good player on the PGA Tour, but you know, he might have been ranked, say, 18th, 20th in the world. And Chase was just coming out, you know, as a professional and, and uh, played a little bit on the challenge tour at the time. I don't, he, yeah, I don't, I think he played one or two European tour events. Um, but to see them playing together, you know, was just such a thrill as a father. Because, I mean, you know, to have one kid playing professional golf, two, um, the odds are astronomical. And, um, you know, I was just so proud, and and what really hit hit me was um, we got out there, and Brooks and Chase said we got a press conference, and I was like, "You're kidding me!" And I'm saying, "You know, why are they going to do a press conference with Brooks and Chase?" But apparently, it was a big story because two brothers are going to get to play, you know, in in the same event together, and 
you know, Chase had gotten a sponsor's invite in. And, and I'll never forget going into that room. And it's just two of them and, you know, the reporter and all these TV cameras. It'll sit in the back. And I literally took my phone and, and I put it on video. And I videotaped the whole thing. And I, I probably watched it four or five times since. <laughs> and just, you know, listen to the two of them up there laughing, um, you know, poking a little bit of fun at each other and, you know, uh, talking about how, you know, what's going to happen, you know, because two rounds were, were best ball and two were alternate shot. You know, the comment was like, you know, so what's going to happen when your brother, you know, you know, hits it in the trees or misses a putt or, you know, doesn't, doesn't you know, do what you thought he was going to do. And, you know, and they were just laughing like eh, probably the same as it was, you know, when we were growing up, you know, I mean, we probably can't get into fisticuffs out here in front of everybody, but <laughs> there's, there'll be a few choice words, <laughs> you know, just being the interaction of the two of them, you know, as adults, you know, just being kids and, uh, getting to witness that as a parent, it was, that that was real, really, really special. And, you know, I, I, I've been blessed to be able to, you know, travel to a lot of places around the world. We spent, you know, about a month in Europe traveling around watching Chase play and some different European tour events in Switzerland and Denmark and, and Scotland and, you know, getting to go to places that, that, you know, I probably would have never gone if, if yeah. they weren't there, you know, playing and, you know, same with Brooks going to the Ryder Cup in France and experiencing that over there and the Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits and then going to these majors. I, I, I remember making a comment to Rich Lerner when Brooks won his first U.S. Open. I was sitting in front of the TV at my house watching it, and everyone's like, "You know, why aren't you up there?" And I'm like, "I don't want to jinx him. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a superstitious, you know, athlete from the past, and he was doing well. Last thing I'd want to do is fly up there and jinx him." Yeah. And you know, Rich said to me, "You know, so how does it feel?" And I said, "Well, you know, it's it's surreal, but I said every year one father gets that special present." on Father's Day of seeing their son win the U.S. Open. And I said, this just happens to be my year. And I remember him saying, you know, is this the best Father's Day gift you ever got? And I, my comment was, until next year. Um, and he kind of laughed when I said that. And not that I, you know, was guaranteeing Brooks is going to win the one the next year, but lo and behold, he did in, in Shinnecock. And uh, so it... Uh, <laughs> made me look like I was Karnak to make it to being able to predict the future. But, um, you know, it just, it was, uh, that was very special. And, um, you know, getting to play with Brooks over in, in Scotland. I was just at, about to at ask the old you. course in St. Andrew. I was just about to ask you, you played the 2015 Dunhill links, which is the, uh, you know, the, the three course rota of, of Carnoustie and, uh, Kings Barnes and the old course and, and Brooks finished second behind, uh, Olison, I believe. Um, yeah, Torbjorn. Yeah, and uh, and just uh, that had to have just been an absolute blast. I mean, not just on the golf course, but you're playing in a tour event. You're surrounded by by all these other players. You're spending the evenings uh, together. I, I I'm guessing that's got to be the highlight. Yeah, that was a really a phenomenal week. I mean, um, when he told me you know he was going to take me over to play in that and. You know, got the approval to bring me over as his amateur partner. I was just, I was thrilled. I mean, uh, to be able to play the old course is like, you know, something that you always want to do as a golf fan. And, and then to get to play it, you know, in the middle 
of a European tour event is like, wow, I get to do it with your kid. And it was such a special week. I, you know, I got the opportunity to play with Martin Keimer and his dad and, um, got to play with, um, uh, Sean O'Hare and, uh, you know, his partner and Stuart Sink and his partner. And, you know, so I've gotten to, you know, beat some of those guys and, and watch them, you know, right in the heat of battle and yet you're trying to compete as well and but at the same time stay out of their way and sure. it was just a um a phenomenal week and uh you know brooks brooks never lets me forget that you know he came in runner up and we didn't make the cut um <laughs> so <laughs> you know he, he's always sure to make sure and get the dick back in whenever he can um that, that's just being a kepka but um uh, I, I got him pretty good over there because um, when Torbjorn won in, I remember being outside the uh, the locker room in the, in the in the building there, and you know Brooks came up and you know we were talking, and Torbjorn came up and I you know I hand the phone to Brooks and I said, "Can you do me a favor and take a picture with me and someone that can win the Alfred Dunhill Wow. Lynch? And uh, so Brooks has got to take the picture with me and Torbjorn, and, and then uh, I said, "Oh, come on down." step in here, Brooks, we'll get the picture with the champ and the runner up and everything. So, um, but you know, and, and I had gotten Brooks earlier in the week. Um, one of my buddies came over for the weekend. Uh, he was doing some work in Switzerland. So he came up and stayed at the house with Brooks and I. And so he got to walk inside the ropes with us. And he always says it was such a thrill, but we were walking up just past the Dunbegin and, uh, down the street comes Shane Lowry and Shane had just won uh, the WGC event up at Firestone. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I kind of did the same thing. You know, he sees Brooks and stops and says hello. And Brooks introduces me to, to Shane and we're staying around talking and they introduce him to my buddy. And so I, I said, Hey Brooks, do you mind taking a picture with me and somebody that can win a WGC event? Wow. And, uh, and so I get a picture with Shane and, you know, I ended up, uh, hanging with Shane, uh, one night at, uh, one of the places. Oh, uh, that sounds like a smart, that sounds like Bell a Bell. smart, that sounds like a smart idea hanging out with Shane Lowry in a pub late at night. Oh man, we spent four hours there and to tell you what a small world it is. My buddy and I go in there and it turns out the place is pretty much empty. There's Kevin Phelan who yeah, played at UNF. North Florida. Yep. Right. And, uh, I knew Kevin. Um, and his caddy were there and Shane was there and my buddy, John Hardy and I, so we're in there and we're just talking and drinking, you know, one after another and telling stories and just laughing. And I mean, I bet we spent four hours in there and, um, you know, we were talking at the time we were, we were placing bets on, on some of the matchups over there. And, uh, <laughs> my buddy Hardy and I were trying to make a little extra cash. And, um, so, uh, the caddy says to me, well, you know, there's a couple of them I can probably help you with. So we're like, Oh yeah. And so he gives us a couple of picks and everything. And we were doing pretty good on our own. And he gave us two picks and one of them was looking good. And the other one was, you know, not looking good. And, and I remember him saying, don't worry, this guy always seems to fall off at the end. He kind of seems to collapse and everything. And I think it was like four holes to go. And the guy was up by two and we ended up winning that bet. But, um, lo and behold, you know, three, three years later, um, you know, Chase is traveling around on the European tour and he's got this caddy named Mark. Well, you know, I'm here in the States, so I don't know anything other than, you know, this guy, Mark, and don't know what he looks like or anything like that. And so 
so we were over there and, and uh, in, in Switzerland, Crowns, Montana, the Omega Masters. And it's a small little town. If you ever get a chance, you got to go to Crowns, Montana. It's absolutely gorgeous. And uh, base birdies eight of the last ten holes uh, in the second round to go from outside the cut line to inside the cut line. And we decide we're going to go up to, uh, afterwards, to go up to this place called the Traffic Bar. And it's just a little pub. And the town, you could walk from one end to the other. You know, it's like three blocks long. So we come off of the 18th hole and we go up there. And I get up there and there's Chase's caddy, Mark. And he's got a glass of wine there. And so um, I go over and, and uh, you know, start talking to him a little bit. And, you know, my only conversations before were just, you know, hey, how you doing? You know, good playing today or, you know, you had a tough you know, tough one today and never really had an extended conversation with him. So we're standing there talking and I said, you know, just really nice to finally meet you. And he said, well, you know, I met you before. And I was like, really? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. Uh, three years ago with Kevin Phelan and Shane Lowry, I stood up Ma Bell's in, you know, a block from Dunbegan. He's like, yeah, I was Kevin Phelan's caddy at the time. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> And, you know, had no idea that I had met him. And, you know, tells him what a small world it is. And then that's, <laughs> actually, it's kind of, there's another little side note to that. But, uh, so we're standing there, I'm talking to Mark. And all of a sudden, this one guy comes behind me. And a lot of the players are hanging out there. You know, so you, you get to know a lot of the players over the years. You know, see him in the dining and stuff. So talking to a bunch of them. But this Irish guy comes walking behind me and said would you boys like a drink and uh, i said no i'm fine I, you know, just, when he served you a beer it was like a 24 ouncer and of course you're at such high altitude it doesn't take much to get you tipsy over there sure. and um mark's like yeah i'll have a glass of wine and 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 the they had like an outside bar like 15 feet from us and the, and the guy says you sure you don't want a drink and i said no i'm fine and he looks at me and says, I'm not going to ask you again. Can I get you a drink? And, of course, he used a couple other uh, adjectives in sure. there. And I said, yeah, give me a drink. So he brings something, and I got it down this one real quick. And I do. And I'm like, Mark, who is this guy? And he said, well, that's uh, Beef Johnson's agent. And I said, oh, really? I said, I like Beef. He's good for the game. He's different. He's not your you know, run-of-the-mill golfer. He seems to have fun out there and everything. So." Um, Lo and behold, the guy uh, turns around and hands me my beer and Marcus' glass of wine. And I pound down the other one real quick because I didn't want to look, you know, like something was wrong. And uh, with, you know, two full beers. And I said to the guy, I said, you know, Mark tells me that you know, uh, you know, uh, Beef Johnson. He's like, Yeah, I do. And he said, Would you like to play around the golf with him? I said, Yeah, it'd be great. I'd love it. I said, I'm sure it'd be a fun round. And he says, well, I can make that happen. He says, uh, we just got to put a little wager on it. And I was like, sure, you know. And uh, he said, well, what do you want to wager? So I'm thinking, all right, I got to up it, you know. Because I can't do a normal wager. You're not yeah. going to want to do 10, 10 20s. Yeah. And I said, how about, how about a thousand bucks? And the guy starts laughing and says, well, you got to make it worth my while. Oh, God. And, and so I said, well, how about 15 grand? And he says, well, you've made it worth my while, but not worth beefs. 
So I looked at him and I said, well, how about 150 grand? The guy couldn't get his hand out quick enough to shake my hand to consummate a deal. And I was shaking hands and, and I said, what's your name? And he said, Simon, whatever. Uh, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm beef agent. He says, what's your name? And I said, Bob kept it. He went, Ooh, oh. uh-huh. <laughs> he's like, Oh boy. Uh, I got myself into a good one there. Yeah. And, um, Next thing I know, guess who comes walking by? John Daly's agent. And <laughs> we have a similar conversation and everything. And uh, here this past week, you know, John's, you know, com- comes out in the media. And so he's got Brooks calling him Uncle John. I know. I saw that. I was going to ask you. I, oh, I'm afraid to ask about that one. But, uh, but yeah, that's because I was going to ask you, like, if, when you're out watching, uh, when you're out watching the guys play, uh, whether it's Brooks or Chase, I, I'm guessing that you're walking most of the way. But uh, I was going to ask you if you didn't walk and you found yourself stuck in the in the clubhouse or something. I'm guessing John Daly's someone that you wouldn't mind hanging around with. Yeah, you know what? Um, he he was a riot, and you know I've always been a fan of John. I mean, uh, just the way he came out of crooked stick as the last guy in the field and wins the PGA, and you know he's not your you know robo golfer. You know he kind of does things his own way and. I, I like when people are different, not not just you know cookie cutter, and and so I've always been a fan, and and uh, you know I think like beef, he's fun, he he was good for the game. I mean, you know, um, he's had issues and stuff, which you know, everybody at some time has an issue, so you got to look beyond those things, and um, just you know happened to be coming out of the back of the clubhouse, and John sitting there. And so I just, you know, walked over just to say, hey, you know, I'm a big fan. You know, just wanted to say thanks for what you do. And all of a sudden, Brooks came by on the walkway and saw, you know, both of us there and, you know, stopped for a minute. I think he was going to the range, actually. He wasn't out playing yet. He was going to the range. And uh, so he talked to me for a second and talked to John. And he went over to the range. And, and uh, so I just sat down with John. He's like, hey, do you want a beer? And, I mean, we sat there and just started, you know, talking and, you know, telling stories. And, you know, I was asking about his, his son, little John. And, um, we just got to laughing and, and having a good time. And, you know, time just kind of flew by. And uh, all of a sudden I was like, Oh crap, he's going to be on the first year. I, I got to get going. <laughs> um, you know, so I, luckily I got out there and, and got to see him before he teed off, uh, and everything. But, you know, those, those are things that, you know, I'm blessed to get that opportunity. You know, because people would kill to be able to, to get inside the, you know, the ropes to the clubhouse and get a chance to talk with guys like that. You know, like Stuart Sink, you know, I had the, the pleasure of playing with him at, uh, at St. Uh, over in the Dunhill Links. We played together at Kings Barn, but, uh, and I remember, you know, so I was joking with him on the, on the range before we went out to play. And I said, hey, you want you know, you want to have a little match today? And I said, you know, you and I will play a birdie game. And, and, uh, he's like, sure, sure thing. You know, and, um, I remember, uh, you know, Kings Barn, I think I'd made like three birdies and they're uh, back up on the short par four. And he comes up and I'm like, so Stu, how many you got today? And he's like, I got seven. I was like, oh crap. He said, how about you? And I said, I got three. And, um, so when we went over to St. Andrews, we're on the it's a small little range and, you know, we, we're, we're hitting some, some balls there. And, and I said to him, you want to carry the match on again today? And he said, sure thing. 
So we got done, and, and uh, I'm waiting outside the recording area for Brooks to go in and sign his scorecard. He's in the foursome behind us, and so he comes up, and so I said to him, how much did you make today? You know, and he's like, oh, I got eight or, you know, whatever the number was. He's like, how about you? And I got, so I got three. And I said, how many eagles you got? And he's like, none. So I got one. I got you. And even to this day, I always tease him. I'm like, hey, how many eagles you got? Oh. You know, and, and <laughs> so I always remind him, I'm, I'm one up on him there. I never won the birdie match, but I won the eagle match. And, you know, and, and it's just, you get to know these guys and, um, you know, they're, they're just like everybody else. You know, they, they put their pants on the same way. They just have to be really good at golf. Right. And most of them are really good people too, you know, and they remember you and they're always nice to you. And, you know, I've had the pleasure of meeting Stuart's wife, uh, Lisa, I think is her name. And I remember always asking him how she was doing because she was going through some breast cancer treatments. Yeah. And, you know, I go to a restaurant one night and there he is with his mom and dad his whole family and so yeah, I get to meet those guys and uh you know but you just you, you keep your time to a minimum you just go over and you know hello nice to see you I'm a big fan of your son or your husband or whatever it is and you know you don't you don't go and sit down and pull up a chair and have dinner with of them course. so um they respect it and they're you know like I said they're just uh, a lot of classy guys out there and um you know, I was really happy when Stewart got the uh, Payne Stewart Award. I, I thought it was well deserved. That's great. That that what you're saying about a lot of the guys are just very approachable, and and they it sounds like they like seeing you. <laughs> it sounds like you're you're a good time to have a beer with, which uh, which I know of, that that's the case. Um, I'm gonna so I'm gonna go ahead and get you out of here in this question. You've you've mentioned a lot of things that Brooks and Chase have uh, have have learned from you. What have you learned from them? Well. I think I learned a lot. I've learned how to just be a dad. Um, you know, you, there's there's no right or wrong script to being a dad. Um, you just do what what you think is right. And as professional golfers, they're going to see a lot more um, challenges or, or or you know defeats than they will victories. Of course. And um, so, you know, you just got to be there as a dad and let them know you're proud of them. And so I, I think I've become a better dad by just, you know, staying back and let, being there to support them from the sidelines, but not getting involved with their, you know, um, my, uh, daily routine. You know, we go to a tournament. I see them right before the <laughs> round, tell them good luck, you know, after the round, tell them congratulations or, you know, hey, had a tough one out there, whatever it is, you know, we'll see you out here tomorrow and hopefully it'll be a better day. And so I, I think I've learned that uh, over over this period. And, um, you know, I mean, you learn a lot about yourself because we all make mistakes. And I'm sure there was times that I probably said the wrong things when they were coming up in junior golf and college golf. And so, you, you know, you just you learn from those mistakes and try and not make them again. And, and, you know, just, you know, let them know that you're proud of them. And I think that's what's important. And, you know, that whether they win majors or, you know, like in Chase's case, you know, he had success in the challenge for that one year, got right up to the European tour. And now he's, you know, out there, he's got conditional status on the corn theory. And, you know, do I worry about him? you know, getting out there and, and 
you know, uh, having some success. And it's just like he just needs to play well at the right time. And I know he can do it. You know, he's, he's you know, done well in some different PGA Tour events that he's been in and everything. So I know he's got the game. And, um, you know, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. Maybe just one piece missing. And once he can find that piece, you know, I, I think he'll do well out there. And so you got to stay supportive. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you can't, you know, it, it, it was the hardest thing for me is I'll be standing with Chase and someone will come over and say, you got to be so proud of your son. And so yeah. many times I, I look at him and I'm like, yeah, I'm really proud of Chase. And the first comment is, no, I meant Brooks. And, you know, and, I could just feel it because you know, I had an older brother that was a great athlete in all three sports. And I was always compared to him growing up. And, you know, one of the things that I'll never, and I've told my kids this story, I threw a one hitter in college. One of the first things one of the teammates said to me afterwards was your brother threw a no hitter. And, you know, I remember telling him you got about 10 seconds to get out of my sight before I kick your butt. Yeah. Because, you know, what the heck does that have to do with what I just accomplished today has nothing to do. And the comparisons are always going to be there from others. And you as a, a dad have to kind of separate those out so that it doesn't become personal. Because it's very easy for Chase to take that as a personal knock on him. The individual that said it didn't mean it that way, but sometimes they don't understand the environment that they're in. And, you know, so you just um, have to have to be there and, and hopefully, you know, massage that situation to where it's, it's a positive and not a negative. Well, Bob, this has been fantastic. I, uh, I mean, just tons of great information and great stories, um, about just your, you know, the journey of, of getting into the game and, and bringing the boys along in the game and seeing their successes. And, and it's just, I think it's just fascinating. I think a lot of the listeners are, have, have, will have enjoyed this episode. So I, I appreciate you taking the time and, and let's, let's try and resume that round of golf that we started a year ago. Yeah. I look forward to it. I, I do have to remind you of one thing because you oh. mentioned it on the podcast with Chase about the pop sites that we played. In. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, that's my fault. I need to, that's right. I, I yeah. did. No, I that's did, all right. I did allow and, him to talk about it and, uh, and, and yes, you have the floor. You can, you can, uh, you know, go, <laughs> You can talk about that term as well. You guys both won that, and I think uh, I think you car- you carried the team, right? Yeah, well, that's what I'll tell them to this day. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing. They always have different memories um, from their perspective. But, you know, it, it was it was a tournament I always wanted to play in. And, it, you know, it, it, it's really a great, I'll call it a local tournament, but it's actually a national tournament. Yeah, it is. But it gets hosted here in Atlanta, Florida, where I live now. And the timing was always bad because the kids were always playing in some tournament elsewhere. Like they used to have um, a tournament out in Arizona for all the college All-Americans. Um, and, you know, Brooks would go out there, or, you know, Chase was going there and everything. So never had the timing just right. And I want to say one year Chase wasn't playing in that. Um, and so I convinced him. And I said, look, I'm going to enter this tournament. I'm going to put our entry in and everything. I want you to come play with me. And, um, you know, unfortunately, it's the only year we were able to play. Um, and it's it's probably one of the more difficult tournaments because it's pure alternate shot um, for 36 holes. 
and you know you one person tees off on the even the other person tees off on the odd and you know you alternate until you hole out i remember going into that thing and of course you know the competitive nature we had the, the goal was to win the thing and you know we got paired up with the lift family the first day and we played pretty good and, um i think we shot even par and uh, the next day we get paired with ryan howelson uh and his father um i think they were you know maybe two or three shots behind us and you know ryan was a good player he you know yeah. played on the pg tour a little bit and uh, you know just uh, uh he and his dad they were, they were they were a joy to play with as well as the list but uh i remember going in i you know, I, I told Chase, um, you know, look, we've got to grind this thing out. And I remember one of my personal goals was no three putts, which is really hard to do when you're not putting that often, you know, because you don't want to let your partner down. And we went through that whole tournament without a three putt. And um, I remember, I remember teasing Chase because the whole time I was just more worried about, you know, hitting an air and drive and putting them you know, behind a tree or in, you know, in the bushes or, you know, hitting it out of bounds and having him re-tee. And I was fortunate that I didn't do that. We, we ham and egged it pretty good. And we got through the whole 36 holes without a three butt. I think we had like six birdies and, and, and six bogeys to shoot even par and win that thing. And, um, I always tease Chase because he was going to be turning pro, um, later in the, in the, uh, uh, in the summer, uh, yeah, that was Christmas of his senior year in college. And so he comes out, his first tournament as a professional is over here in, in Atlantis. And um, I, I've always teased him. And I said, you know, I, I gave you the momentum with that big win at the Pop Sykes <laughs> to, you know, to get you over that hump in your first, you know, professional event. I think he shot the course record 63 there that day and, and, and won the, the minor league tour event. Um, he, he, he still won't give me the credit for the momentum, but, uh, I'll, I'll take it anyways. There's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of going back and forth between these, uh, between these Kepkas. That's the, the common theme that I'm picking up, but I love the fact that whenever you meet a, 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 a PGA tour winner, whether it's Lowry or whether it's Olison, you ask Brooks to take, I mean, that's balls, man. That is just, that's balls. That's great, though. Yeah, and, you know, there's one other one I could tell you about. Sure. The first the first tournament that they're going to play together in the Zurich, um, you know, I'm I'm just so pumped up. We go out for the whole week, you know, and, of course, we're going to take in Bobo Street and do all that and everything. So when they were doing the Pro-Am, I'm going to go out and walk around in. I mean, what else am I going to do? I, you know, I'm a golf nut, so yeah. I go out and, and, and walk around and everything. And, um, you know, I'm watching the pro-am. And, of course, you know, a lot of these guys that are playing and aren't really that good at golfers. You know, and, they, and I mean, they can hit some really bad shots. So just they're, they're successful businessmen. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, their company puts them in this thing. And, and uh, so we're walking around. And I forget um, the, the group that um, – Chase and Brooks were playing with. And, um, so we're just walking down the fairways and, you know, we're joking with them and, and, uh, you know, when they'd hit an errant shot, you know, you kind of bust their chops a little bit. And so we walk around and, you know, I've been just becoming friendly with these guys and, you know, giving it to them when they needed it and, and 
you know, sticking the needle in and everything. And so we get to, uh, we got to finish on eight. Um, and the ninth hole is a part three because it did like a shotgun start. And so when we're shaking, I'm shaking hands with them after, you know, you know, the kids had signed golf balls and everything. So the guy's like, well, you know, since you've been giving us crap all day, why don't, uh, you know, let's see what you can do. And they said, we'll play nine with you. So I was like, sure, no problem. So we go over there and, and I, you know, I said, how far is it? I think, I think if I write, it was like 156 yards. So I said, um, anybody got a seven iron? And, uh, yeah. And I said, well, I need a golf ball and a tee. So the other guy hands me a golf ball and a tee. And I hit this shot onto the green, which I was real happy to do. Um, <laughs> all the press yeah. on. And, you know, I probably hit it whole high, maybe about 20 feet right. And uh, we get up there to the green. And I look, and I got this putt with a, you know, the pins on a slope and everything. And I got to hit this big bender from right to left and everything. And I said, well, can I, can I blow the putter? And, and I knocked the thing in the hole. And... Uh, it just came up, uh, matter of fact, on Facebook as one of my memories from like, you know, three years ago or whatever it was. And uh, I was laughing about it. So I was pretty tickled. So I take a picture of the two guys, you know, holding two fingers up. I like, just made a birdie and on the par three. So I was joking with the kids and I said, hey, I got our team off to a good start. We're one under, <laughs> you know, through nine. So everything, we go out to dinner and we're having fun in the town and everything. And then um, we show up early to the course and um, the kids are on the range warming up and Brooks's agent, Blake, comes over and says, Bob, I have to have a talk with you. And I said, sure, Blake, you know, what's up? And he's like, um, you know, I can't believe what you did yesterday. And I was like, you know, what do you mean? He said, well, I spent all morning in there talking to the officials, not to DQ Brooks and Chase, because you came out and, and played a hole on the golf course. And I was like, Blake, are you serious? I said, you know, those guys, I said, you know, the kids weren't even there. You know, I just was playing with a couple of those guys, you know, that were in the pro-am. He's like, yeah, but that's forbidden. And, you know, I'm not, I'm still not sure whether or not they're going to get in the tournament. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I just screwed up a whole week, you know, all for some innocent thing to hit a, you know, his daughter in there. And then he looks at me and says, I gotcha. Oh my God, did my heart drop. (laughs) (laughs) He had me and I said, Blake, I'm going to get you one of these days. (laughs) But still to this day, I remind the kids that, you know, I'm the only one to birdie the ninth hole (laughs) at DPC. New Orleans, nice. (laughs) New Orleans, because they kept parring it or bogeying it. So, uh, you know, it's just needles like that. We we enjoy, you know, uh, giving it to each other. And, um, you know, it's, it's been that way since they were little and, you know, uh, I can remember when they both kids beat me when they were 12 years old. You know, I, I, um, you know, it just always uh, have some great memories like that. You, uh, you give Brooks any shit about that uh, abomination of a haircut that he got recently, or are you just is it too too soon to talk about that one? Oh no, no! I actually, I, I saw him. I stopped up at his house uh, last week. I was up working in the area and. So I stopped in. I had to I had to drop something off for getting his birthday presents and everything. And he and Jenna were we were sitting there in the kitchen just talking and everything. And I, you know, of course, you know, you could see the remnants of what was left. So 
from the uh, from the haircut and everything. And I, you know, I looked at him and I just said, you know, I said, I can just tell you one thing, Brooks. I said, you're so lucky you wear a hat to work. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and oh, he and Jenna just looked and started laughing. And he's like, yep. And I said, the good news is that thing can grow back. But I said, do me a favor. I said, don't let her cut it again. She said, I, she said, I think I'm done with my, uh, you know, my haircuts. That's awesome. This is great. I think we could probably go on for about three or four more hours, but uh, I, I appreciate the stories. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get some golf in this summer and uh, we'll do it again soon. Yeah, I look forward to it. And it was a lot of fun telling stories about the two boys. And there you have it. Fantastic episode. Thanks so much to Bob Kepka for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range. Don't forget, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Every single episode is available on the website, thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you again next week for another episode here at the Back of the Range.